Welcome to Parent to Parent, real-life tips to raise resilient kids. A podcast from Communities That Care of Greater Downingtown. This is Chrissy Jambowski, and I have two young kids. And I'm Beth Ann Sinelli, and I have two adult kids. Together, we'll meet with experts and fellow parents to share personal stories and provide support and actionable steps to strengthen your family and raise healthy kids. We're glad you're here. Let's get started. Welcome to Parent to Parent. This is Beth Ann. And this is Chrissy. And today's episode, we are talking about the question of, do all high school students drink before they graduate? Is this really a thing? So the idea for this episode actually came up from a conversation with some parents about how some felt that, you know, quote unquote, all kids in high school are going to drink at some point. Um, Should parents just accept this and go with the flow? Maybe we should let them drink at home and learn how to be responsible with alcohol before college. Um, And also thinking in the other way, should we be holding that line of no alcohol before you are 21 years old? So kind of this back and forth between the two different viewpoints. So in thinking about this, we thought this would make a perfect podcast episode. So we reached out to one of our partners and our friend, Beth Bruton, at um, Holcomb Behavioral Health Systems. And we wanted to see if Beth could come on and chat with us about this as Holcomb has done many programs specifically on this topic in both Chester and Delaware counties. So Beth, thank you so much for being here today. Welcome. Hi, thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Christy. Thanks, Beth, for joining us today. This is a topic we have visited a number of times in our different parent speaker series, um, conversations with parents, peer support groups with parents. And it's kind of historically been a topic of conversation. And I know that for me, with children in my tw- their 20s now, 26 and 28, I can go back to their high school days and I can go back to attending many graduation parties where parents were providing alcohol. Um, just it just like it just seems to be a constant conversation that we never really seem I think we probably made some progress but yet that perception piece is still so strong about how to address this so um, one of the things we always want to start with is our Pennsylvania survey data so of course we looked at the pays data from 2021 and just as a reminder to our listeners pays is the statewide survey that's conducted for students in grades 6 8 10 12 so we have the 2021 data and Lo and behold, we'll be getting new data next year in the fall of 2023, looking at this information again. And historically for us, we have shown that as kids get older, from grade 6 to grade 12, as their age goes up, they, their perception of the risk of drinking decreases. So most recently, we had one out of three students accepted regular alcohol use by senior year, and alcohol is relatively easy for them to get their hands on. So I guess the question is, um, is we know not everyone is really drinking. We know that everyone is doing anything is never really the case, but yet the perception remains that, yeah, you know, it's easy to get, everybody's drinking, and particularly as kids go from grades six to 12, their, their perception of risk or danger or consequences decreases as they get older. So I kind of wanted to explore that a little bit more with you, this whole perception of everybody's doing it um, and kind of like take us through that, you know, that thinking. Sure. So when this is a, this is a question we hear a lot. And, and, you know, if you think about being a teen or even a preteen, those tween years, um, you may may have one, maybe two friends who are drinking and to, to that teen, that does seem like it's everybody because that's their inner circle. So um, during those teenage years, feelings of being like an outsider or longing to be included, um, they're really pronounced at, at this age. Um, if the kid that your teen wants to be friends with or is hanging out with is is drinking or using substances, they may feel that need to participate, to be accepted or risk um, to avoid that risk of being left out. Uh, some teens see substance use as an easy path to make friends, to fit in, to be accepted um, or to just be in what they think is the quote unquote right crowd. Um, experimentation with alcohol 
during the teen years is fairly common if you ask a teen, if you ask them, you know, do you know people in your school? Do you know some of your friends? They might say yes. And some reasons, I mean, that could be a whole podcast in itself. Mm -hmm. Um, The curiosity, wanting to, or thinking it might make them feel good. They think it will help reduce stress. They want to relax, fit in, look older, look cool. I mean, again, we could go on and on with the the reasons they might tell us. Um, But what's important to remember is that many types of challenging behavior, while they're normal in teen years, experimenting with substances should not be considered normal. Um, And that's something that we as parents and caregivers really want to try to reinforce to our youth. Uh, We also really need to rethink our perception of norms um, and and just make that clear that no, not everybody's doing it. And, you know, using Bethann, like you said, the PAYS data and show them like right here in Chester County or Delaware County or wherever you are, this is what the, the youth are saying. And while you may see some of your friends doing it overall, those numbers are telling us something different. Um, So understanding why teens drink and us as caregivers providing alternatives for them is really probably one of the most valuable steps we can take towards keeping them healthy and safe. It is an interesting thing too, because, you know, going back to like actual data that we have showing this, students are reporting that they're feeling like alcohol is easier to get as they get older and that it's not as risky to use and it's more normalized. However, when you go and flip it and look at the use rates, because that's one of the things that's measured is that 30 day use and lifetime use. Those numbers have been on the steady, slow decline for many, many years of taking this survey. So in reality, kids are technically drinking less, but their perception is very strong that everybody's doing it. So it's this interesting mismatch and I guess it's just it makes me think of kind of like attention goes or or energy goes where attention flows whatever that saying is where you know if you're a kid looking at a phone on social media and someone's posting about a party and maybe you know there's 500 people in your entire graduating class and maybe there's only 20 people at this party but this party might get a lot of likes and photos and attention and stuff because it's so wild and look at the things that they're doing and all of that and maybe that's do you know what I mean like stokes that perception of there's a lot of energy that's going into it but when you pull back and scope back you really see okay really that's like such a teeny tiny percentage of like the actual all of the people of like you know there's probably a hundred some kids that might be at the movies or at somebody's house with no alcohol or you know at a basketball game or something else you know what I mean so It's very interesting how that peer perception and energy piece of it goes into it. Well, you know, Chrissy, when every time we do these podcasts and I go, I think about two things. One, I think about when I was in high school in the dark ages of the 70s. Mm-hmm. And then I think about my kids, you know, at age 26 and 28. And the number one thing that didn't exist really in either one of those situations was social media. Clearly, I didn't have it. You know, we got a Burger King and we thought we were living large you know, <laughs> in Narstown. Um, but... What I will say was to your point is I really, I, I wouldn't have known what was all going on. I wouldn't have had this idea that there's all these big parts. There was no way to get that information. If you weren't there at the moment, you didn't even know that. So that whole perception of everybody's doing it, it wasn't broadcasted anywhere. Mm-hmm. Cause how would you know, unless you got invited and we're sitting at that party, you didn't know that. Yep. I mean, not the kids didn't drink in the seventies. You know, I'm not saying that I'm just saying we, that whole image that that puts out there. And then I think about my own kids, social media wasn't a thing yet. They were still using flip phones. So not that my kids will say, yeah, it's true. I'm sure there was alcohol at parties and stuff going on in high school. However, once again, similarly, unless they, you would have go out of your way to get that information and find that, right? It just wasn't that readily available or broadcast in such a flashy way that everybody knew it. So I keep coming back to the evil of social media. No. Okay, <laughs> coming back to what is the one common denominator in a lot of these podcasts that we've had recently, whether it's bullying, whether it's alcohol, whether it's marijuana, whether it's eating disorders. Well, I, it, it's so funny how that social media technology just creeps its way into every one of these conversations not, you know, the good sides of it, but also we just seem to always be talking about what else it's opened up. This Pandora's box of this perceptions and attitudes and need to belong and all of these other things that are happening. So, 
And I, I mean, I think with that, you, you're a hundred percent right. And again, it is that common denominator, but I mean, realistically, it's not going away. Um, I mean, to most kids, that is something that my 10 year old said to me the other day, she thought she left her phone at school and it was, you know, Friday. And I said, well, you won't get it till Monday. And she's like, I I can't live without it till Monday. Um, and I mean, she was so serious. Like she did not think she could make it through the weekend without her phone. Um, so now it's like, okay, if it's not going anywhere, what do we then do? What can we do? Know that this isn't something that we could just, you know, back in my day, we didn't have this. So like, let's bring it back. It's not that we can't do that. Um, so you know, really going back to those conversations and and talking about the data that, you know, I know that your group of friends is your world and it may seem like everyone's doing it, but the reality is no, not everyone is doing it. And it, it, again, just starts those conversations. Great point. And so thinking, you know, there's the perception of peers, right? So kids have this perception of, okay, what do I think my peers are doing and how, what are their attitudes and beliefs about different behaviors, whether that's, you know, we're talking about drinking alcohol today, but the same with like vaping and using marijuana or sexual practices. Like, you know, there's a variety of different things because this is such a peer focused age time of tweens and teens um, and adolescents, but there's that adult piece too. And so, you know, one of the things that's interesting is going back to that PACE data is that it shows that by senior year, three out of four 12th graders feel that they won't be caught by police if they were to underage drink. Um, and that one out of three feel that most adults think underage um, alcohol use is not a big deal. So again, going back to that perception is there, this data is, you know, showing this theme of a perception that adults don't really care if I drink and I won't get in trouble anyway. So Beth, can you speak to maybe some underlying root causes that might be leading to kids to have these beliefs? Yeah, so I actually wrote down some some bullet points for this because I could really go off on like a whole other tangent. So I wanted to make sure I, I stay on track, but you know, from a really young age, kids see advertising messages showing, you know, these beautiful people enjoying life. And a lot of times it's with alcohol. And because many parents and caregivers, other adults in their lives use alcohol or may use alcohol socially, like having beer or wine with dinner, for example, alcohol seems harmless in many ways it seems fun and it seems not risky at all for our teens because that's that's what they're seeing they're seeing it on tiktok they're seeing it on social media they're seeing it on you know commercials they're seeing it maybe at their own dinner table or at a family party just this past weekend at super bowl like they're they're seeing it everywhere um and we also over the years, I mean, even like Bethan, you said you remember this with your kids. I remember this growing up. I remember seeing this at, at other family parties. We do see many adults allowing youth to drink in, in the home. Um, and many are doing so because they think it will take away the mystery of drinking. They may believe that it, it will teach them how to drink responsibly. Um, some may feel they're doing the best thing to keep their, their youth safe. Um, and when you think about it, it's their, their intention is good. Uh, we're not talking about parents who are trying to be like the, the cool parent we're talking about parents that truly think they're making the best decision and they're, you know, trying to keep their child safe. However, when you look again, education is key and just making sure that we're getting this message across to those parents that that think they're making the right choice. Multiple studies show that youth who are permitted to drink in their home, they drink more often and they drink larger amounts of alcohol um, as they get older, when they're outside of the home and when their parents are not around. Um, And this is again, multiple studies that show this. Um, And I really, again, believe this all comes back to the data telling us how youth really value the opinions of the adults in their lives. Um, 
we may not always believe this to be true. I know my 12 year old knows that my opinion is that I want her room to be kept clean and it is never clean. So mm-hmm. it, it may not always seem that way, but deep down when you get to these important issues, the facts show us that our youth do want to do what is right and what is expected of them and what the, the, the parents, caregivers, those important people in their lives, what they, what their opinion is towards this, that really does matter to them. I think in this conversation um, that, that Christy and I had not too long ago with a, a friend was, um, I think some parents have even perhaps thought, think they're doing the right thing by calling you first and saying, hey, there's going to be alcohol here at this party. We want you to know. So, so it's kind of like, okay, I'm going to go like one more step and I'll make this okay, but I'll let you at least know that we're going to have alcohol here. So if your son or daughter is coming that you like kind of have this heads up that we're doing this. And it's, it's a really difficult conversation because I've, I've had this conversation. Um, and it's your, I think Beth, you said one point that is so that rings. I, I wish I would have thought about this a little bit more many years ago is that they're not doing it um, carelessly. Like they really truly believe that if I show my child how to drink responsibly, how to handle alcohol, what to do, what not to do, then I am teaching them a really important life skill. And they come back often the criticism I would receive from parents was, you know, they're just going to want it more because you prohibited it because you wouldn't let it's like, okay, you're not allowed to have, junk food so they're just going to gorge on junk food and become like junk food crazy people and the same thing with alcohol you restricted it they're just going to want it so much and i would say sarcastically and we may want to leave this out of the podcast because my response often was you know i think we should try this with sex i'm kind what do you think let's just throw that into the mix because Mm -hmm. let's teach them how to have sex responsibly let them do it in your home right supervision What do you think? We'll just put that right up there with marijuana, alcohol, sex. I don't know why not. They're all high risk factors that they can learn to do responsibly. Now, I don't don't know if we want to. I think we should leave that in. I definitely think you should leave. It's a great example. But it's a really good analogy, though, of like, of like, but it is the thing of like, so there's multiple things happening, right? So it's like the parents, people that have done this in the past or have this thought of like, well, I'd ra- I want to teach them to be responsible and like make it so it's not like the forbidden fruit or whatever it is, right? So yeah, that's one that's piece it. of this. But then at the same time, we're also holding in the other hand, the data that shows when you si- value, like you're signaling alcohol use at your age is okay. Your kids, that yeah, light in your illegal. kid's brain is going to go off and say, oh, well, I can drink at home. So surely it's fine if I go drink at Joe's house. Surely it's fine if I go, because I know how to do this now because I've mastered this skill. So I'm going to take this out of the basement and to other places. And you know what I mean? So it almost sort of, it's opposites. Like, so it's, the in, the intent is good, but it has such a high potential to backfire. And I can remember even when I, I mean, I've worked in prevention my entire career. And I remember going to graduation parties for family members and, and seeing this happen, seeing, you know, but it, again, the intention was there. They were doing what they, they weren't trying to be the cool parent. They were trying to keep their children safe rather than, you know, have them go drink in a park or you know, wherever um, they were doing it. And they let all the other parents know that this is what we're doing. So, and I remember thinking like, Oh wow, like maybe that is a good thing. And then I remember getting trained with this program, the power of parents and learning and just reading study after study after study. And I was like, okay, I now see the, the flip side of it of, you know, giving that permission, then they kind of take it and run with it. Right. And it does, it, it's proven that they go on to drink more often and larger amounts. Yeah. And it, it's illegal. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's like, okay, we have right. a legality issue here. And Christy and I have had conversations with law enforcement where they have shared with us, you know, just general stories about families who then when this, when their child is underage drinking or, you know, if something happens in this situation, um, where, where parents are, ah, it's like not really that big a deal. And we'll actually maybe perhaps get legal representation so that there are no consequences for their child. So whether that be a fine, a penalty or whatever it might be, 
um, you know, parents are kind of looking for like a, a way to get their kid out of it. So nobody really suffers any long, you know, any consequences, mm-hmm. I guess, with it. So and then I also flip to the we haven't even touched on brain and the impact of yeah. all of this happening before the age of even 25. Yeah, um, right. let alone 21, 18 or whatever we're talking about here, 15 or 16. So there seems to be some pieces of this that are just shelved somewhere. Um, for whatever reason, we don't want to cognitively think about those things, but they are very real, the legality issue and also brain development yeah. and the consequences of substance use at such an early age. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we're actually going to take a quick break. And then when we get back, we're going to talk about those risk factors for mixing alcohol with these younger undeveloped brains. We'll be right back. Shuffle, 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 shuffle. Hey, Karen, is it that time of year already? Can you believe it? CTC's second annual Snowball Shuffle 5K Run and One Mile Walk is Saturday, March 4th at Eagle View Town Center. Awesome. Last year was so much fun. We had over 250 walkers and runners. Are we doing a hot chocolate station again this year? You better believe it. We're also having a sweet treats table, team contests with prizes, a raffle, and more. Make sure you bring the whole family. Wow, I love that this not only supports CTC's mission to empower individuals to live healthier lives, it's also a fundraiser to support this podcast, other parent programs, plus our youth hype clubs. Absolutely. CTC counts on donations to support everything we do. Okay, so where do we go for more information and to sign up? Go to runsignup.com and search Snowball Shuffle to register. And while you're there, you can also create a fundraising team. Great. I'll be sure to add the registration link to our show notes, too. We hope to see you March 4th at the Snowball Shuffle. Shuffle, 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 shuffle. Chrissy, is that you? Cheryl, oh my gosh, how are you? Good, I was just thinking about you. I've been missing the days when we used to hang out with the kids. I miss those days too. Parenting isn't getting any easier. I wish I could connect with other parents like I used to. Have you heard that our CTC parent-to-parent peer support groups are ready to start? They are? Tell me more. Well, CTC already does a lot for parents and youth in the Downingtown community. Now they're starting parent support groups. Would you like to come with me? There's a new topic each month, and it will be a relaxed and casual conversation guided by a parenting professional. I'm expecting it to be much better than searching on Google for an hour. Oh, you do that too? Yes, I'd love to join you. Fantastic. I'll text you the link, but it's easy to remember. It's dtownctc.org. Then click the Parent to Parent tab and choose Peer Support Groups. Listen, I gotta run, but let's definitely plan to go together to the next session. That sounds great. I'm so glad I saw you today. I'll look for your text for the info about the Parent to Parent Peer Support Group. Okay, so we're back, and we'd like to continue continue this conversation um, and talk a little bit more about conversations and interactions with parents. Um, and one of the things we were thinking about is it might be really helpful to sort of explore things to say. So if I'm a parent and I receive a phone call um, from one of my kids, you know, parents, friend. Uh, that's saying, hey, we're going to be having this party and um, it's okay for my kids to drink and we just want to kind of give you a heads up about this, that there's going to be alcohol available so that you know that and, you know, we're going to take the keys so kids will spend the night, that we're not going to, you know, no one's going to leave the house till the next day. You know, we're going to, my partner and I are going to be there. It's it's all going to be fine. So we just want to make sure we give you that heads up. You know, what are some things that um, you might be able to say back to that or questions that you might ask? I mean, this is really hard because parents don't want to have controversy or conflict, I know. And also, they don't want their kids, like my kids would say, I can't believe you're going to call and ask that question. Mm-hmm. What do you mean you're going to ask if there's guns in the house or alcohol available? Like, it's, I mean, this. so it's, you're really put in like a really difficult place. So if you could kind of share with us, what would you say yeah. in that kind of situation? I think that might be really helpful. Yeah. And again, I think you just have to keep going back to that. You know, hopefully the intention is good. So hopefully they're also open to, you know, hearing some of the information that might help them make 
better choices. Um, but it's interesting when you think about it for as parents, we require, you know, seatbelts in the car. We require helmets when they're riding a bike. We make sure they wear sunscreen when they're out in the sun. We we vaccinate. We we do all the things to keep our ensure that our kids are safe and primed for success. But when it comes to drinking alcohol, there's like some kind of shift Mm. and we really want to make sure we bring it back to trying to make the best decisions on how we handle this for our youth. So I would mention the studies that we spoke about before the break and how allowing them to use alcohol under age usually leads to using more alcohol, more frequent drinking. Um, Again, stressing that over and over again, because it really does seem to hit home once that message gets gets to be clear. Um, And just also reminding that these are such important years for youth and their brain development. Um, The part of our brain that controls our judgment is one of the last parts that develops. not setting boundaries during this time of brain development may have major consequences as they're growing up. Um, So, you know, really going back to that education piece and making sure that parents are aware, because again, reminding us their, their intentions are good. So let's give them the education that they need so that when they are faced with some of these difficult situations or these questions, or they get a phone call from someone that says, Hey, it's graduation or it's prom. I'm going to allow them to drink at the house because I want them to be safe. You can then respond with some of these, these um, studies and, and go back to, just that that piece of this might not be the best choice for for our kids yeah well because we also know too that the earlier that you a person starts drinking right the earlier you introduce alcohol or really any substance into a developing brain the higher likelihood that brain will become dependent on that substance because it is hijacking your reward system your pleasure centers it's you know and not every person it's not true for every person, but it really amps up that chance of dependency later in life. And so, and that's something that I don't think everybody knows. And mm-hmm. I feel like once you know that, you can't unknow it and go, huh. And, you know, just thinking of stats, it's in one of the presentations I, I've, I've given a million times. Um, but we do know that when you, from interviewing and studying people that are have, do have substance use disorder and are dependent on a substance, the majority of them, their use began before the age of 18. Yep. So it's a very, very strong link there. And we know that the likelihood I want to say, at least in the United States, like of people that do that developed, it's something where if like you, it's like one out of every 25 people that have substance use disorder started using after the age of 25 or something. Mm -hmm. So there is that link to age of introduction of substance and dependency later on that also highlights the importance of delay, 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 delay use as much as you possibly can. Um, So, so Beth, what would you say are ways that parents can talk to their own kids about alcohol and prepare them to kind of make good choices if they are in in a situation where they are offered alcohol? Yeah. So this is actually my favorite part to talk about. Um, and the, if, if you don't take anything else away from this podcast, it's just talk early and talk often. Every single opportunity you have to have a conversation about alcohol, other drugs, bullying, violence, guns, anything, you, you take that opportunity and you just have a conversation. And it might be a two minute car ride that you're having this conversation, but talk early, talk often. Um, I know when I was growing up, my parents were, I would say like semi strict. I grew up in a traditional Irish Catholic family. So feel free to insert all the stereotypes (laughs) you might think about what that was like for my brothers and I. Um, And that's what it was for me growing up. We knew that in our house, Drinking was illegal before you were 21, Um, but that's all we really heard from my parents. They never talked to us about the pressures. They never talked to us about, you know, what would you do if you're at a party and everyone's drinking? Um, It just was, here's the rules, you follow it and that's it. And I know that if I, you know, I was 
I was probably a, a what you would call a rule follower growing up. But if I were in a situation where I didn't make the best choice, I don't think I would have been comfortable to call my parents for help um, because I, I feel like they would have been really disappointed that I broke a rule and I would have not gone to them. Um, I mean, my parents are great. I don't want them to ever hear this and think otherwise, but uh, it just wasn't a thing we talked about growing up. Um, so I think it's really important to let your child know that they can come to you with anything. Um, I always say to my own kids, I have a 10 and a 12 year old that if you are in trouble, you can call me. I might be upset that maybe a rule was broken, but I would be more proud that you came to me and we'll figure out a solution together. Um, again, back to those boundaries, it's really important that you set those boundaries at a young age. Um, and this is a really easy segue into starting these difficult conversations. It could be alcohol, social media, even just your own, you know, in my house rules, family rules. Um, rather than being that parent who is, you know, it's my way or the highway and not being the, the other end of the spectrum of, you know, think about like the movie Mean Girls. I'm the cool mom. Mm -hmm. But finding that balance, that like assertive parent, um, one who is you know, open, has those conversations, uh, setting boundaries, but also willing to kind of like hear the child out to hear their opinion on things. Um, examples of this would be working together to create those boundaries and the consequences for what happens when we don't follow these rules. Um, saying to your child something like, maybe at dinner time, you're sitting down for a family dinner, you know, if you break a rule like drink before you're 21, what do you think the consequences in our house should be? And have an open discussion. And sometimes I find, I mean, I do this with my own kids and I find, wow, like their rules are tougher than I would have given them what they say. Um, if you do something inappropriate on social media, what do you think should happen? Uh, why do you think we have these rules? And just kind of have that open discussion, um, really working together to create your own, like, this is the Bruton family rules for alcohol use. This is the Bruton house family rules for social media use, whatever, whatever the topic might be. Um, and it's not only a good way to start the conversation, but it also really helps to open up that back and forth discussion that helps us get an idea of what it's like to be youth today. Um, you know, we talked about it before, just how different things are. And I I definitely wouldn't want to be growing up no. in 2023, no. No, um, but it really does. You know, we, we, we make that mistake of saying to our kids sometimes, you know, when I was in high school or when I was in grade school and they're always like, well, it's different. And mm -hmm. it, I, my parents said the same thing to me growing mm -hmm. up. And now I am like, you are right. It is so different. It's not even comparable. Mm -hmm. um, but having those conversations with them really gets, the idea of what, what they're seeing, what they're going through. Um, and take any opportunity to talk to your kids. We might talk when we're watching a TV show or when we're listening to music, when we're in the car, when we hear, um, you know, lyrics in a song that mention alcohol, any opportunity we will take and have those, those conversations. Um, and again, just talk early, talk often, any, any chance you get, take it. But I think what's really important, though, to Beth's point, uh, recommendations and things to think about is that it, those kinds of conver the conversations don't have to just be about alcohol. Right. So setting those boundaries, setting having those rules, having those consequences, it could be many things. It's just once you start having those conversations, it could add on into talking about any type of substance and social media and other things that could happen. So I think that's that is really important. And also the kids have to trust you enough that they'll make that call that they'll reach out to you if there's something and knowing that they can do that and, and you'll have the conversation after the fact and yes you may be disappointed um but at no point you know would you rather they not call you out of fear that you're going to lose it and blow up and start being you know screaming and yelling and crazy about you've been inconvenienced in some way to come get them or something so i do think that's really important that they have to they're comfortable enough to take that chance not even take that chance but trust you to be there for them in that situation. Yeah. It's building that connection so that yeah. 
that which is the early and often I mean Beth said that you know that's why these conversations do start it's not a thing where parents like you know we often will hear um particularly at the elementary level and hey sometimes into the middle school level where where parents will say I don't thank God I don't have to worry about that yet mm-hmm. I am just so grateful that well I'll deal with it when they get to high school we've had parents come to you know for at a I don't know, community resource fair or some event. And we have our table set up with all of our tchotchkes and goodies and stuff. And they're, oh, I don't need to see that daddy yet. Oh, I'm not worrying about that yet. Mm-hmm. Really missing that, you know, mm-hmm. that these, the conversation starts so young and the trust and, and all of that, that, no, I'm not saying you're going to introduce and have conversations about cannabis when they're seven or seven, but I'm, but it's everything else that you can be talking about that when that happens, it just naturally, it's, it's organic and it just slips right into what you're talking about. But it's, right. it's, that's the message to me is being comfortable right. with those conversations. And, and, I will, it, and it makes them comfortable too. I, yeah. I mean, I remember getting, you know, the talk from my mom and that was the one and only talk we ever got. And it was like, I remember sweating oh, and so, just uh, like, oh no, yes. like, and, and it was in a car and the doors were locked and I just wanted to <laughs> jump out. And because that was, that was the one and only time she talked to me. So it was so uncomfortable. Right? And now, I mean, my kids, we, we could say anything and they are just like, okay, this is mom and dad talking to us about whatever. This is normal. This is what we do here. So it's not an uncomfortable thing. And they'll come with questions that they have, you know, like someone got suspended for vaping at school today. What is, what is that? Was that bad for you? What can happen? Um, And it's just, it's not just us starting the conversations with them. It's them feeling comfortable enough to come and ask us these questions, which is what ultimately yeah. you want. You yeah. want them yeah. to be coming to you. You don't want them to be finding this out from their friends right. or on their own. Because mm-hmm. what do we often hear sometimes? Sadly, we hear parents say, I wish I would have known. I wish it would have come to me. Right. I don't understand why they didn't let me know this was happening. And you're like, oh, wait, let me think about that. Maybe it's because they're they've never had it's not a natural normal thing to have those conversations with you all of the time so no they're not going to come especially if it's a very big deal they're not going to bring that to you for the first time right so that's the value i think in, in having that early often message is so critical it makes it makes me think too of the episode that mm-hmm. we did with carl and how he just how his one thing that he was like you have to say it over and over is just no matter the unconditional love piece, it really plays into this too. Just no matter what you do and you can make mistakes and mess up, no matter what, I will always love you. And I think that's a big piece of this though, too, of just, you know, and just knowing like, Hey, here's our code word. If you get a bad feeling, like gut feeling and text me this word and I'll come get you wherever you are. And then we can figure it out later. But if, you know, you text me red apples, like I know that I'll have to come pick you up and get you and you can fill me in at the, like, no questions asked, I will come get you. And like having those types of little strategies in place, I think is really smart and helpful. The same as you would to have, you know, any other protocol to teach your kid how to call 911 if there's an emergency and and emergency exits and all of those types of things. I will say too, and I'll add this in the show notes, um, Jess Leahy, who I've brought up before, the author of The Addiction Inoculation, her book is fantastic. And she has a lot of this age by age, how to start these conversations with kids. And on I've I've put it in my stories on Instagram a few times because um, she's been doing these little teeny tiny like minute long videos where she says, and she's pulling stuff out of her book to share and giving just instances and examples. So like things with like little scripts of like, how do you talk to a preschooler about, about you know, medications and drugs and things like this is how you start that conversation. Then here's how you start it with elementary age kids. And she goes through and through. So I can link that in the show notes too, if anybody wanted to take a look at that. Again, what you said with like the texting, having that, like we have the same thing where we have like our, our family word and it could be anything, um, you know, text us or call us and just use this code. And we'll know like you need to get out of a situation. Um, and you know, the kids will, will test that as well. Like my, my 12 year old, she'll be like, okay, mom, so you're saying if I am at school and there's a fight and I get involved, I can text you this and you won't ask any questions and you'll come get me and we'll talk about it later. And I'm like, yep. And, and I'll still love you. And okay. So if I, (laughs) 
if I got drunk at a party and I text you this word, you'll come get me and you'll not say anything until we get home and we'll talk about it later. And I'm, yep. And I'll still love you. Um, okay. And she'll just keep giving examples and I just keep reinforcing. Yes. I promise. This is, this is, this is our deal. Now we, we had you, you know, make your deal with social media, make your deal with alcohol use. We, we even sign contracts. We type up our list of boundaries together and, and we all sign them. I said, this is my contract with you now. I will sign this saying that I, your mom promise to do these things. If you send me this text. Um, and she said, all right, well, what if I murdered someone? And I was like, I would be a little disappointed, but yes, I will still love you. No, I still love you when I visit you in jail. (laughs) You know, I think that concept of like, okay. And and we just always go back to people. We're not perfect. Everyone Mm. makes mistakes. You're going to make mistakes and letting them know, yes, you're going to be in a situation where you're peer pressured. And even though we talk about this all the time at home, you may still make a mistake and you may not do the things that we expect of you, but we will still be there for you and we will still love you. Also, the lesson kind of entwined in that interweaved, I don't know what the right word is, but is um, teaching your kids to like follow their gut instinct. So too, like text that word. If you're like in a situation, whatever it is, and you're like, mm, like you got that bad feeling in your stomach. That probably needs means you need to go. And go with that gut instinct and you need to go, whatever it is. And then let, you know, that they need to trust themselves too, as well as like, because if they're trusting, you know, they, they have to trust themselves and their own instincts too, as well as we have to trust them. It's like, it's like trust yeah. all around kind of. Beth, I know that you mentioned that there are, are a number of programs and resources that uh, that Holcomb has delivered in Delaware County and also in Chester County over the years. And I think that one of the community-wide campaigns that we've talked a lot about or that we've seen is the Project Sticker Shock. And I really love this because it's obviously community-wide. It's, it's really big, broad messaging. Um, and it really speaks to, as a reminder about this conversation we're having today about alcohol use and and youth under the age of 21. So if you could share with us a little bit about Project Sticker Shock and and how you implemented that in Chester and Delaware counties and a little bit about how it works. Yeah, so Project Sticker Shock is an awareness campaign. We're funded through the Chester County Department of Drug and Alcohol. And this is a program we've done in both Delaware and Chester counties. Um, Prior to COVID, it was a lot different than what we're doing right now. Uh, but we create stickers. Um, they used to be these bright yellow, like warning labels that we would place onto cases of, you know, cheaper beer, like Natty Ice or something like that. Um, and we would take youth into beer distributors and they would sticker the cases. And it was basically a warning label that, you know, just shared the risks that if you're an adult and you're purchasing this for a minor, this is what can happen. Um, and then over time, we would get feedback from the beer distributors that they said, a lot of people think this is like a discount sticker that the beer's on sale. Um, They're not actually reading the label and they're asking us like how much it is because of the sticker. So we, we changed it and now it looks like a red solo cup and it has, you know, project sticker shock. It has all the rules um, or all the laws and, and the fines of what would happen. So that was definitely a, a plus. So then COVID happened and we couldn't take youth with us anymore. So we had to kind of rethink how can we still do this awareness campaign, still reach our youth, but also kind of bring in families as well. Um, So we started working with pizza shops that are known to also have alcohol available to purchase. Um, And we would take the stickers into the pizza shops. We would give them, you know, however many they would take. And we would say, could you place these on the inside of the pizza box? And the the goal was, you know, going back to the, the pays data and that protective factor of, you know, quality family time, spending time together. Our hope was, you know, Friday night, families order pizza, they sit down at the, the dinner table, they open the box and they see the sticker and they, they have their dinner, but they also have that conversation not just about, you know, here's the consequences, here's how much trouble you can get in if you purchase for minors, but 
hoping that it opens up that conversation too of, you know, why do you think this might happen or why shouldn't youth drink underage? Um, And I'd say that's really one of the great things that came out of COVID for us because it just seems like just a better way to do it. Um, And it it really seems to be working. So we're going to continue that, hopefully take you with us this year to the pizza shops, but continue working with them um, to, to really bring that, you know, conversation to the dinner table. But I'm just curious, what is the penalty if you were to serve alcohol to minors? So for supplying minors with alcohol, you could receive for your first offense, a thousand dollar fine, additional offenses, $2,500 fine, um, and up to one year in jail for each offense. And to kind of break it down further, we had worked with some officers. They said, let's say, let's say you're not just purchasing. Let's say you're, you're hosting a party, Mm -hmm. a graduation prom after party at your house, you're allowing the first child, which may be your own child, is $1,000. If they have 20 friends at that party, right. each of those friends is an additional $2,500. Um, so, it, I mean, it adds up. Uh, fast. Fast. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think this is where it's like, okay, how do we change these norms, right? So it's things like this. It's Project Sticker Shock and creating these opportunities for education because you don't know what you don't know. And like, that's something that we didn't get into too much, but it's it's educating like, okay, this is maybe why we need to change this attitude surrounding this behavior. And here's why. We know like the risk to your brain development, the risk of dependency later in life. As, and we didn't even touch and talk about accidents, no. falls, oh, no. car, you know, all uh, of the uh, other. Yeah, alcohol being the underlying, you know, factor yep. in so many things from crime to, to yep. car accidents to yep. violence. To overdose, um, alcohol poisoning, overdose. hospitalizations, it, yeah, and, death from alcohol yeah. poisoning. I mean, it's it's thing. It's real. It happens. Yeah. And I think mm-hmm. we're getting there. Um, but I think it's also important, you know, to know that if you're a person listening to this, that. Maybe you've never, maybe your kids aren't that old. Maybe you've never had to think about this. Maybe you've never had this conversation with other parents, but to, you know, maybe think about and reflect on your own values and kind of decide where you stand with this. And if, if you're a person who says like, oh, maybe after listening to this amazing conversation, um, you know, you (laughs) might, but you might, you know, think like, okay, maybe I really need to talk to my kids about this and, and have that rule for my house that no one under 21 drinks in my house. And that's just the hard rule. And I have to hold it and then put things in place to uphold that, but also know that you're not the only parent that that's the rule. Right. So the same is like, even though kids feel everybody quote unquote is drinking, and maybe some parents feel, oh, all kids by high sc- end of high school are drinking, that when you zoom out and in reality, that probably actually is the minority and mm-hmm. the majority of people aren't necessarily drinking and the majority of parents mm-hmm. aren't necessarily providing alcohol. So I think that's an yeah. important like yeah. piece of it to think of. Mm-hmm. And I think you do find parents, I know we've also had these conversations who are making these decisions because they did grow up in families yep. where alcohol was a source of great dysfunction yep. mm-hmm. and trauma. And they absolutely are not going to have that be part of their family going forward. So I think there's also becoming a comfort level where now folks are saying, you know what? No, I dealt with that or that's in our family. And that for all these reasons, we are not going down that same road that I had to, that I did as a child myself. So there seems to be a little bit also more comfort level and admitting that. And not that it's an excuse, but to really sort of be comfortable saying, no, our family is not going to have alcohol in our home because this is what it was like for us growing up. Yeah. Right. I think that's another opportunity there for that conversation. Yeah. And, and it also opens up the conversations for, you know, adult to adult. You know, we think about our kids having these conversations and how difficult it is. It's it's hard, too. I remember, like, Bethany, you brought up the whole thing about, like, guns in the home. I remember, like, my kids were having friends sleep over and the, the mom called and said, I just have to ask, do you have guns in your home? And I was like, wow, good for you for asking that. Yeah. Because I've been I, uncomfortable to ask, you know, when my kids want to go to yeah. a sleepover. Mm-hmm. And then we started the conversation and I was like, good for you. And it's it's just kind of the same thing of, you know, it just takes one person to speak up and yeah. say, you know, these are our rules. And 
You know, even if a, if a parent called me and said, hey, I'm having a, a party, I'm going to allow alcohol, then, you know, trying to not be judgmental and say, okay, I, I know what you're trying to do. You're trying to keep our kids safe, but let me tell you about this study. And, you know, then it kind of leads down that road of doing the education piece as well. Okay, um, Beth, in this short period of time that we've had on this podcast, you've shared a great deal of information and really super helpful strategies. And I think a lot of many real life examples that you're experiencing right now with your own kids and also on your professional side, working in prevention all these years. And I know that lots of folks after our podcast like to listen and find more information because something we said today they're really interested in. So if you could give us a little bit more information about Holcomb and then also how and where can um, um, our podcast listeners um, find some more information, you know, whether it's programs or resources or how to connect with Holcomb. That would be really helpful. Yeah, absolutely. So I, um, I am the prevention manager for Holcomb Prevention, which is a Chimes affiliate. Um, and we basically do what we talked about today, prevention and education. We go in and we work in the schools. We do a lot of work with parents. We do a lot of community work. Um, if you go to our website, which is www.chimes.org, and you'll go to like the about tab and you'll find Holcomb Behavioral Health Systems. And then once you get there, you go to prevention and education. Um, there's so much that Holcomb does, um, but you'd want to make sure you find the prevention education tab and then you can see everything we do in all the counties. You can always reach out to me directly uh, via email, which is elizabeth.bruton at chimes.org. Um, if you had any questions or anything you wanted to follow up, feel free to just shoot me an email. And I could put, of course, all of those links and everything in the show notes so people can click away and ask away. So Beth, this is so good. I could talk to you for like another hour. This is so, I mean, we might have to have a part two. I don't know what we're going to talk about, but part two, just to follow up on a variety of things or even just how we bombard our kids in the car as we, before we go. started recording today, that seven minute ride, cram it all in un unplanned. Um, so thank you so much for being here and doing this day. This is really fun. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Thank you everyone for joining us today. You will find information and links to everything we talked about in the show notes. And you can also follow me, Chrissy, on Instagram and Facebook, and that will be linked there as well. Um, be sure to click subscribe or follow in your podcast app that you're listening to us in so that you can stay up to date on our latest episodes. And if you are liking the pod, we would love it if you would share it with a friend, either text it to them, post about it on social media, tag us, all of the sharing is welcome. So thanks for being here and we will talk to you in two weeks. Thanks. Bye. Thank you. Thank you.